0: You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope.
1: In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear Saints, God be praised, God be praised that He in His kindness has set such beautiful texts before us this morning to teach us and to comfort us. We want to consider ourselves, concern ourselves mostly with the centurion, and his servant whom Jesus heals, but we don't want to miss out on the leper also who's healed by Jesus, nor do we want to miss the epistle text where Paul talks about anger. It seems like anger has come up quite a bit in, in the sermons and in the Bible class lately, and that it was even preached about a few weeks ago, and the text that we were really looking for was this text in Romans chapter 12 where Paul talks about what we should do with our anger. When we sin, the result is guilt. Guilt. At least it ought to be guilt. If we don't feel guilt or know guilt when we've sinned, then we've got big problems, a very hardened conscience. But generally, when we sin, the result that we have in our own conscience is guilt. We've done something wrong, and we know what to do about it. We know that we should repent. Then we pray, and we ask the Lord for His mercy and forgiveness. And we come here into the Lord's sanctuary and ask for His kindness and His mercy, and the Lord deals with us according to His mercy. His answer... To our confession is always the absolution. The forgiveness of all of our sins. All sin. But what happens, and this is the question of anger, what happens when we're sinned against? When someone else hurts us, or mocks us, or neglects us, or abuses us, or does these things to someone that we love. The result of, of us being sinned against is anger. I'm angry at that person. And I want revenge. I want to get even. When someone sins against us, we feel, we have this internal sense that the world is out of whack and we need to bring things back into order. And the way that we'll accomplish this is with justice, with our anger, with vengeance. You know this? You know what I'm talking about? At best, even when we're not out plotting revenge, what we're not plotting when we're angry with someone is how to bless that person. We are most likely not sitting around trying to figure out how to love them. And that's what anger is. It's a justified lovelessness. We don't love that person because, after all, look at what they did to me, or look at what they did to my family, or look at what they did to my church. Now, this is not just a normal lovelessness, just a lack of love, where we simply hate a person. Here we think that we're even right in not loving them. They haven't deserved our love. We don't even think that we're supposed to love them. And the result is that we add our own sin of anger and of hatred to the sin that's been committed against us. Now, this type of thinking, this seeking after revenge and wanting to get evening, this seeking for justice, is not the mind of Christ. It is the mind of the world. And Jesus has another way for his church, another way of thinking altogether. This is what Jesus preaches. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now look, this text is law, and like all the Lord's law, it is not easy, but neither is it optional. Your enemy, the one who sins against you, is to be the object of your prayers, and the object of your blessing, and the object of your love. But pastor, you ask, what about justice? If we keep letting people sin against us, there will be nothing right in the world. We shouldn't let people get away with doing wrong, should we? True enough. But dear saints, justice is not your business. It's God's. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. See, our job, our command from God is to love and to bless and to pray. Not to have vengeance and not to seek justice unless perhaps you are a judge or a parent. <laughs> But our job is generally, as Christians, to pray and to love. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't pray against our enemies. There are probably two dozen psalms in the book of Psalms that are called the imprecatory psalms, where the Holy Spirit shows us how it is that we pray against our enemy. We pray that the Lord would execute judgment and wrath. We we pray that the Lord would make things right. Sometimes when we're praying for our enemy or even against our enemy, we're praying that the Lord would destroy all their wicked plans and that he himself would bring them to justice. But you see, that's the point. We are not doing it ourselves. We leave it to God. And this is what St. Paul is talking about. We leave room for wrath. So here it is again. Romans chapter 12, the epistle lesson from Paul and these instructions. yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you heap burning coals on his head. So, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. When we are sinned against, and when we are angry, we take that anger and first make it into a prayer to God. And then we make it into a blessing for our enemies. See it? Now, it is one thing to know what we are supposed to do, (laughs) and it is an entirely different thing altogether to do it. We will, every single one of us, be repenting of our own lovelessness until our last breath on this earth. But we pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to at least begin to keep the law. That the Lord would forgive us and deal kindly with us as we fail to do what He has commanded. And in fact, He does. And this is what we see in the Gospel text, Matthew 8. Matthew puts before us two uh, two healings. The healing of the leper and the healing of the centurion's servant. Jesus had just finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount, in which he preached, love your enemies. And now he's coming down off the mountain and he's headed down the hill back to his uh, home base of Capernaum. And he comes across a leper. Now, leprosy is a terrible sort of thing, uh, this rotting away of your flesh and of your feelings. So, So your fingers are falling off and your ears are falling off and you don't even feel it. Leprosy was such a a horrible disease that if you were a leper, you had to live outside of the city. You couldn't come into the city limits, and and neither could you be with your family or anybody else. You, you, You couldn't be touched. In fact, Moses said that if someone touched a leper, they were unclean. So the lepers were supposed to go around, and if anybody who was clean came close to them, they were supposed to yell out, according to Moses, unclean, unclean, so that everybody could keep their distance. But look at how it is with Jesus. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus, of all things, stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, I wonder how it would be as this great multitude is watching Jesus and this leper approaching, although he's keeping his distance, and and, and how they would have gasped as Jesus walked towards him and as Jesus stretched out his arm and as Jesus touched the man. Doesn't Jesus know that by doing that, he'll be defiled? That'll be made unclean? But Jesus is different. He is the undefiler. He is the (laughs) anti-unclean. He is the Lamb of God who carries away our sins, who bears our iniquities, by whose stripes we are healed. It is His touch that makes us clean. It is, His, it is His work that makes us holy. And then Jesus comes into Capernaum. And this is the text we want to consider. This is really what the sermon is about. That was all three sermons for the price of one today, I think. This Roman soldier comes to Jesus with a prayer for a servant. Now, there is a lot going on here. First, this soldier is a Gentile. He is not a Jew. So for Jesus to even talk to him is a little bit suspect. For him to go into his house would make Jesus unclean. In fact, one of you was telling me the story this week of having a Jewish friend who would always come over and bring Jewish treats, but would never put the plate down on the table because to do so would make the food unclean, to set it down in a Gentile house. This is the kind of thing that's going on here in the text. For Jesus to go and, and visit this Roman would make him unclean. The soldier also was a centurion. That is, he was a man in charge. He had at least 100 soldiers under his authority, making him a man of prominence and a man of importance, he, and also a rich man, we know. He was familiar with Jewish law, he was familiar with Jewish custom, and he was a friend of the Jews. The Gospel of Luke tells us that this centurion had financed the building of a synagogue in Capernaum. And so he was friendly with the Jewish elders. And this man's concern for his servant tells us that he was a thoughtful man and a kind man. But Matthew puts this centurion in front of us this morning, not because of any of these things, but rather because of his faith. Because this man has great faith, and there are three ways that we see it. The first way we see the man's faith is that he prays. He comes to Jesus and he prays, asking him to help his servant. Dr. Kleinig points out that the two people whose faith is commended the most in all of the Gospels are the two people who come to Jesus praying for their family and friends. The Syrophoenician woman who comes to Jesus asking that Jesus would rescue her daughter from a demon and this centurion who comes to Jesus asking that he would heal his servant. Faith prays. Faith trusts that God hears our prayers and that he answers them. Faith looks to God for all good and looks to God for help in time of trouble. Second, this centurion is humble. He's he's marked by an uncommon humility. When Jesus would act as if he would come to this man's home, this centurion says, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And that sentence has from ancient times been a prayer in the church before taking the Lord's Supper. That when pastor and people stood before the Lord's altar and Jesus was offering to them, to us, His body and His blood, we pray, Lord, I am not worthy that You should come under my roof. But say the word. This man does not come to Jesus as if he owed Him something. He's rich and powerful and important, but he comes to Jesus as a beggar. Asking only for mercy. And third, and most importantly, this centurion trusts the word of Jesus. Just say the word, he says to Jesus. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. To my servant, do this, and he does it. And this is the main point. The centurion understands authority. Authority. The authority of the Word. His own authority and its limits and the authority of the Word of Jesus. This man is used to giving commands. Attack, he says, and his soldiers attack. Retreat, and they retreat. Go over there, and they go packing. Do this, and it's done. But look, this lasted only until his servant became sick. And now his servant is home paralyzed, in his bed. Now the centurion says to a servant, do this, and that servant can't even move an arm. Now the centurion says to the servant, get better, and he writhes in pain. You see, the centurion was a man with authority, but he now sees that his authority has come to an end and he needs help from one whose authority has no limits. He needs Jesus. Most of us, I suppose, in some way or other, have some authority. But that authority has limits. Try as you might, you cannot stop dying. <laughs> Try as you might, you cannot stop dying. Sinning. Try as you might, you cannot earn God's kindness and His favor. You need one whose authority has no limits. You need one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And and you need His word and His speaking and His promise. And your saints, like your Christian brother, the centurion, you haven't. Your sins are forgiven. Your death is defeated. Your grave is opened and your life is eternal. Your Jesus is dead and raised and He has spoken it and promised it and it is true. Go, says Jesus to the centurion, And let it be done for you as you have believed. And his servant was healed that very hour. Go, says Jesus, to you and let it be done for you as you have believed. Your sin is forgiven. Your death is defeated. Your name is written in heaven. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.